Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cape Town. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Hannah Mazel. I'm Chris Youngblood. And I'm Ryan Ham. And this is a podcast about superheroes and superhero things. This week we're going to talk about Superman, uh, who's like not just a superhero, he's the superhero. He's the first superhero, and he's what most people think of when they think of superheroes. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about news this week. And there was a lot of news this week, so we may not even get to Superman this time. <laughs> because I'm looking at the list I have in front of me, and it's going, to take, it's going to take a good chunk of time. We'll try to keep it to just the interesting stuff. The most interesting thing, we haven't even, it's been out for two weeks now, but um, we need to have a brief recap about Black Panther. I, my jaws, I love box office stuff. And so just like watching the legs that it's had uh, in the box office over the last two weeks has been really incredible. Or week, two weeks? Where two, we weeks yeah. two weeks, yeah. Two weeks. Yeah, uh, it's been really incredible just to watch uh, everything that's been going on with it. So, Where is it at? What are, what are the current, do you have like box office totals? Uh, 428 million domestic. Wow. 17th wow. all time. We, we briefly mentioned this last week, but it is crazy to me that Black Panther, a superhero that most people didn't know about until like, prob- until like Civil War probably has now become like just such a, not just a successful box office movie. That's amazing in and of itself, but also just the cultural moment that it's having the way that Wakanda has already become like internet shorthand for, uh, for black culture and the way that the character himself and even Killmonger, who was less known than Black Panther was probably has become shorthand for a certain way that America talks about and dehumanizes its young black men has been, has been, um, fascinating and um, and you really can't say enough good things about the movie and about how thoughtful it was without losing an inch of being a very fun, really, really positive, uplifting experience, which I don't think that's just not something I really go to movies thinking I'm going to walk away with is feeling really encouraged and optimistic. But I did with Black Panther. I loved that movie. Yeah, I think the overall buzz in the theater was what I loved more than anything. Yeah, yeah. Like there was just this, there was a true energy uh, with everybody in the seats. Like it was, it was, it was really cool. I saw Black Panther on, well, the Friday night that it opened and I was like kind of expecting the theater to look like it normally does here in Utah, which is totally full of white people. And <laughs> because, <laughs> because Utah is just a, it's pretty homogenous. Um, so it was, quite surprising and awesomely surprising I should say because sitting there it was just there was so much diversity in that theater which was so cool (laughs) because for as long as I've been here it's not looked that way um so I feel like just starting the movie off there was just kind of a there's good vibes happening there um and I feel like I could say this and without it just being like, oh, I just saw it. And so I'm feeling I'm on the high of the movie. But honestly, it's my favorite Marvel movie. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it in terms of ranking it. But I loved every part of it. So good. Ryan? Uh, I saw it as well. uh, The same day Hannah did. Um, I think this is one of those rare movies where, to me, like the conversation around it is so important and matters so much. And I'm so glad that people like, like it that like, that is even better to me than the movie, which I also liked a lot. Um, I think it's interesting that it basically got an entire, um, 
and like people have talked about this, like I got an entire group of people that have never had a superhero. I mean, you know, I know there's lots of internet conversation about blade and people forgetting about blade, which is semi sort of fair, but, um, but I, you know, I think there's a, there's a big, like, it's, it's just really cool to see a lot of people latch on to superheroes in ways that I think all of us have been excited to latch on to superheroes over the past, like 10 years at the movie theater. Um, that's been really neat to watch and it's neat to see it expand beyond um, kind of the traditional comic book crowd that you might expect um, and like, and, and penetrate into even more reaches of popular culture um, and to see like a pretty uncompromising um, approach to uh, a superhero in on film. I, like I, I thought that I didn't think it was a perfect movie. Um, like it's not, Sorry, Hannah, it's not my favorite Marvel movie, but um, I also think it was asking some questions that, like, most of the movies have not yet. Um, I was talking about this earlier that, like, my favorite superhero comics tend to be, like, and this is part of the reason I especially like Captain America, because it can kind of interrogate these big ideas, like, what is America and you know, what can America, what could, what can America be and what is the ideal of America and stuff like that in this, you know, singular, uh, comic universe. And I don't think the movies have tapped into ver- that very much. The mostly they're just kind of fun and pulpy, which is totally fine too. Um, but I feel like black Panther is one of the first Marvel movies, uh, to, to really successfully kind of navigate some of those questions of, um, like black identity and what does it mean to, um, say open your borders to people who need help um, and stuff like that in a really uh, profound and good way. And like, it also helped that it was just like a good movie. Um, so yeah, overall I liked it a lot. Um, I would say it's like in my top five of the Marvel movies. I think, I think so. that it probably um, it, with most of these Marvel movies, there has been a sense that you can, you can tell they're making it for a huge audience. They want everybody to be able to enjoy it, but there's sort of an underlying narrative or an underlying idea that superhero fans are playing are paying extra close attention to this movie. So we need to make sure that we are giving them a little extra that maybe the average or uh, the, the average non-comic book fan uh, wouldn't pick up on, but those who do will appreciate it. I feel like this movie did that, but it did it with more important issues with things like uh, racial identity, the tensions between Africa and African-Americans, uh, some of the stuff. I mean, <laughs> this is a superhero movie that interrogated the idea of museums, pillot, like having stolen artifacts from ancient African cultures, which is a very heady topic, a very controversial topic um, for a superhero movie to do. And it did all this as a way of, with, uh, with certain internet memes, with, uh, with certain references to African-American culture and African culture that was really, it, it's, it was a really, um, for me, as a white person sitting on the outside of that conversation, as somebody who tries to be informed about it and not appreciate it and want to be up to date on it, but I can still appreciate that it wasn't something that uh, necessarily involved me as anything other than somebody who appreciates these, these things a lot and is really glad that they're taking place. Yeah, I am curious. Like one thing I was thinking about, and part of the reason I'm so excited that it's kind of gone beyond, or it's it seems like it's gone beyond sort of the more vocal uh, comic book fans, and it's like tapped into this like huge new audience. <laughs> you know, it's like 
every time there's a huge movie that stars mostly an African-American cast, it's like everyone's surprised that it breaks box office <laughs> records. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm curious what you guys think, because part of the reason I'm excited about that is I feel like it might invigorate the genre a little bit. And that was part of my, and, and we don't have to go too far into this because I don't want to get on a huge rabbit trail, but um, I think that was part of my, like the reason that it wasn't my favorite is part of it is like, I'm just kind of like, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm almost fatigued by superhero movies. Um, I mean, we've had how many in the last like 10 years and it's just so many. Uh, and, and it's like, the, it hits so many of the same beats. And I think I'm finally starting to feel that, which I'm sure, you know, lots of people who don't actually care about superheroes have felt it for a long yeah, time. No, I agree with that sentiment, Ryan, because I felt that way even after, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out and, and Thor Ragnarok came out. Like, I'm like, these are good movies, but I'm just I'm getting a little burnt out on it. Well, you guys need to find your own podcast. Well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I'm just saying, I, I understand it. Like, I, I love comics, I love superhero stories, but I think that's something that we can admit and be honest with each other about, even though we are on a superhero podcast right now. The, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I realize that's maybe not something that people, people would expect us to talk about, but it, it is a, it's quite a saturated market. All the more reason though, to pick up a comic book and read. And I think that's, so. that's, <laughs> that's a great transition that you're steering us towards. Cause we do have some things we want to talk about. And I do think that that sentiment, which is uh, widely felt and which is something that I'm sure like studio execs, at Marvel Studios and the DCEU, DCEU are aware of, which is why it's very refreshing to see superhero content that doesn't follow those beats, which is mostly happening on TV with shows like Legion. Um, and I suppose you could say Logan also subverted expectations for what a superhero yeah. movie could look because So there are some creative experimentation happening, even... I mean, I think Black Panther even did it to a degree. Like, some of the more interesting stuff that I've seen online, um, and like... And I think it's really cool because it's like from uh, particularly African-American voices that I follow on Twitter, like they're, they're mentioning stuff in the movie that yeah. I just didn't pick up on because like I'm watching, I'm watching in the movie through a different lens. And like the idea that T'Challa is the villain for half the movie, I think is like, that was a really interesting mm-hmm. point that I'd never thought about before. Um, but that's not something that's ever been done in a superhero movie before. So I, like, I think I, so I, I say that, you know, that I'm fatigued, but I'm also, again, excited that there's maybe a new audience and then excited that it seems like particularly Marvel. And this is, I'm not trying to bash DC. Like, I think Marvel has had so much success that they like kind of, they're playing with house money at this point. So they can just kind of like take mm. some chances that maybe DC is mm-hmm. not able to do right and now. You, you see yeah, that. I think it paid off too. I I think this will hopefully, like you said, Ryan, the success of this, despite the fact that it was not a conventional superhero movie like we've seen for the past 10 years will, and the success of it will encourage the, the powers that be the suits to try some new things and try some things that might fail even uh, because that's where there's some good stuff that could come from things like that. I do want to talk a little bit about some of the other news this week. Marvel is uh, shaking up their uh, line of actual comic books quite a bit. They're, uh, with, they're launching a bunch of titles. They're ending a bunch of titles. They're launching a bunch of new titles. Was there anything from the that list in particular that caught y'all's eye? Did you know that this is the fourth uh, re- relaunch since 2015? Yeah, of Marvel I saw, comics? That. I saw wow. the, an article from io9 on that. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at that. I don't understand how they wonder why people get confused. Like I'm confused 
if I miss an like if I miss an event, I feel like I have to go onto Wikipedia and read for a couple hours. No, anyway, all that say, I'm, no, I'm sure the four the four is for anybody who's like just trying to like weather it. It, it. They launched in I think it was 2015 with Marvel Now. Was that was Marvel Now 2015? No, it was so Marvel Now was 2012, and Secret Wars ended in so, 2015, and then it started all new. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. This is getting very complicated, I understand. What's basically <laughs> happening is that Marvel keeps yeah. relaunching their entire universe, fresh slate, easy place for new readers to jump on board, and they continue it for um, six months, maybe, to a year, and then they do the whole thing again with another big... Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely some diminishing returns, uh, but here we are talking about it, so I guess it's kind of working? I don't know. We'll see how we'll see if this one lasts long. I think I think it works for them because they have such success in in media all around, so they they can pull it off. You know. Yes, and I think you're right that there's. I mean, it's it's a really commonly felt sentiment that people want an easy starting point for comics. They want an easy way to get on board. They don't want to jump into the middle of the storyline that's been going on for six, ten, sometimes longer than that, a number of years. Uh, but when they keep on relaunching, they do. There's a lot of writers and, and creative teams who are, are trying to start something that will last longer than just a year. And when you keep on disrupting that, I think it can be a little hard to get a, a legacy type storyline going. I'm sure that's a frustration for the creative teams there. But there are some really cool announcements. The big one uh, that was trending on Twitter for, for a little bit was Ta-Nehisi Coates, who's been working on Black Panther for the past year, is now, in addition to Black Panther, taking over to Captain America. Um, he is a staff writer at The Atlantic. He wrote a really lovely essay on the idea of Captain America. As you're probably aware, Ta-Nehisi Coates has been very critical of the United States, particularly for its racism. He's uh, an, an excellent voice on how racism and the, the lingering effects of slavery continue to poison our conversations around race today. And he said in this essay that he's interested in the idea of writing Captain America because he's interested in writing about somebody who really believes in the idea of America. And I believe his phrase was somebody who believes in the dream. Um, I can't wait for it. I've loved his work on Black Panther. Captain America, we all love Captain America on this bad podcast. We're all stands. Uh, and I think uh, it's hard to think of somebody who'd be better equipped to interrogate the concept of Captain America than Coates. Yeah, uh, that article on The Atlantic was was really great. If um, if people are kind of curious about the this new writer kind of taking the helm on a hero that, you know, probably people aren't expecting this. I'm, I'm assuming for a lot of people, it's quite a surprise, but um, I would highly recommend they read that article uh, that he wrote. It was really great. We'll, we'll put up a link to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, other big announcements for the new lineup. Al Ewing is a Marvel writer who I really like. He's never really had a huge hit, but he uh, has a lot of love flying, really, really good writing. Uh, I like his work a lot, and he's taking over the Hulk title. He's writing a book called The Immortal Hulk, which he says is going to be more of a horror concept, uh, a scary title. I'm very excited about that one. Ooh. And uh, and Jason Aaron, who I think right now is my favorite writer working in comic books, is going to be handling the Avengers, an all-new Avengers lineup, uh, which is going to be Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, Doctor Strange, and Ghost Rider. It's a solid line. Yeah. That's solid. I'm, I'm down for that. Mm -hmm. How many Avengers books are they had like five going for a, for a while? It was like their X Men books. They just had a ton of going. 
and now that we're in all that in, this should I, I think that this is actually going to be the only Avengers book out. Great. Um, so this would be the only one. Great. But all your eggs in the same. Speaking bag. of confusing people, right there. <laughs> there was uh, one more that was announced today, which was uh, Nick Spencer. After Dan Slott's ten-year run on Amazing Spider-Man, Nick Spencer has officially been given uh, the reins to Amazing Spider-Man. How do you guys feel about Nick Spencer on Spider-Man? Do you think uh, they'll announce that Spider-Man has actually been the Green Goblin <laughs> since day one? Nick Spencer was the person behind the Captain America story where Captain America had been like a secret Nazi for for a long time. That was a story that made a lot of people very upset online. Uh, but mm. he, but he's a good. But Nick Spencer has done some very good writing, uh, particularly good run yeah. on Ant Man that that is really well loved. Uh, so I think he could, I'm interested to see what he does with Spider-Man. I think his humor, I think his humor in his previous books will really lend itself well uh, to like the voice of Peter Parker. So I'm excited for that. I think Nick Spencer was definitely somebody who like, I would like to, I've always wanted to see read Spider-Man um, outside of Jonathan Hickman, who I just like want to see <laughs> like, write everything. Um, but yeah, like, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for this book. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely like probably is the biggest Spider-Man uh, fan on this podcast. Like I, I, I am gen, genuinely just really excited to have fresh blood on this. When does that launch officially? When does that come out? May. May something? Nope. Well, slots leaving in June. So I'm assuming uh, yeah, yeah. June or July. July is, July is like kind of the bit where a lot of these are launching. Um, so you may have to wait to the summer. So, yeah. well, okay. So I'm thinking, uh, so free comic book day is going to be on May 5th this year and they're going to release a uh, Dick Spencer, amazing Spider-Man issue. And that's what I have rolling around in my head. In addition to the comics, the, the, bit, this is, we're recording this on May 1st, Thursday, and it was announced this week that Avengers is actually Avengers infinity war is actually going to be releasing, in, on April 27th instead of in May. It's bumping up a week. I don't know why. I don't know what they what the reason was. But other than May was getting just sort of crowded with a lot of movies and they want to keep the momentum from Black Panther carrying over just a little bit sooner. We're going to yeah. see Black Panther. We're going to go back to Wakanda in just <laughs> four weeks. It's great. <laughs> yeah, like, so I'm curious, like Ryan and Hannah, coming off of what you were saying about the fatigue that you're feeling and then having something like uh, them announcing like, Infinity War is going to be bumped up a week. Like, how do you get as excited as I actually did today? Like, or are you just going to like, hey, Chris was cool. texting us in all caps. Our group text. <laughs> I'm 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 very excited about Infinity War, but mostly I, I've been itching for you know Captain America on the big screen again. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that that's exciting, and I like I like the big team up movies. I think they're super fun. So I'm excited, despite despite it's it's like minor fatigue. I don't want people to yeah. think I'm like oh another superhero movie because that's definitely not how I feel. It's just I I appreciate that they're they're adding new flavor to the movies. <laughs> um, but I'm super excited about Infinity War. Yeah, I'm I, I'm excited too. I mean, I think um, if it was just a like I don't want to say just if it was Avengers like another Avengers two, I don't think I'd be as excited. But like. I actually think based on what everyone's saying, and I mean, I know we all kind of have our suspicions, like there are actually going to be some real stakes in this one. So it's not just going to be like Quicksilver dying. Um, So like, if this is the movie where they kill off Captain America, like that's going to be a big deal. And I think that's going to be something different than we've seen before. 
Um, Don't say it out loud. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I mean about the same, like saying the same beats is like, you know, you know that it's going to start off with a big, like with a big action sequence, and then they're eventually going to get have some trouble, and then it's going to like have a big ending sequence, and then it's going to be fine. Um, and I like the idea, even though I'm like, I don't like the idea of Captain America or of their heroes dying. Um, I like the idea that like maybe we will get an ending that maybe is not so happy. Um, so that could be cool. Yeah. No, I I think that would be like necessary to the story arc though that there might be some loss and i think that we've seen some movies too where like that's been a really powerful moment i think you know obviously logan uh, i don't want to spoil anything but (laughs) uh i'm pretty sure it's well known what happens at the end of that movie but still like there are some there are several you know like tear-jerking moments that movie dealing with loss and then i also think like wonder woman uh handled that pretty well too where there was a leading star and it it really added a lot to the story and it it made it more powerful. So sad as I am, that's a, that's a real possibility. And I think that's it's just, it's the way it needs to go. Something that one thing that you really almost never see with, uh, with superhero comics uh, or the movies now at this point is an, is an actual death, which brings a sense of real closure and ending to a story, uh, especially somebody who you've seen for more than one movie. But when it does happen, it's very powerful because at this point we've had some of these characters around for 10 years. Uh, I, in the comics, I think of Ultimate Spider-Man, the end of Brian Michael Bendis' run, which is it's a, not to give it a huge spoiler alert if you haven't read Ultimate Spider-Man, but this one does end with Peter Parker's death, that run. And um, it's very sad and it's it's hard to read, Ooh, but, it's, but it's really, really good. And it's really rare to have a, in this genre to find a story that actually ends, feels kind of valuable and important. And I think Avengers Infinity War is not going to be the ending of of the MCU, but it might be the ending as we know it of the current MCU. And that could be something kind of special, even if it's going to be very sad and involve me, a grown adult man crying in a movie theater because this superhero <laughs> died, which it might. Um, speaking of the of superhero's death, the guy we're talking about today has died many times and continues to come back to life. Uh, just like the Jesus Christ <laughs> to whom he was so often compared. <laughs> and his name is <laughs> and his name is Jesus, the ultimate superhero. And his name <laughs> is Superman. And uh, that's who we're going to be talking uh, about today. We're talking about it because there's a new show coming out on the Sci-Fi Network called Krypton, which apparently is going to explore the idea of, uh, of Superman's like great-grandparents, grandparents, and parents getting ready for the destruction of their planet. Um, my level of interest in this show, I would say, is minimal. How are you guys feeling? Oh, I'm like, uh, I'm, at, I'm at a three out of ten. <laughs> I'm just not really into this new idea of superhero shows minus superheroes. Like, Gotham does not really interest me hardly at all. And it feels like they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. Sorry, out of scale of one to ten, you're at a three? Is that what you guys yeah. said? <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm feeling quite the opposite. Um, yeah, no, cause I get bored with Superman there. I said it. No, deal with it. Not a, not a, no, that's (laughs) an understandable. I think that's super understandable. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Ryan is going to want to dunk on it. I'm on board with this take. Um, okay. So I, I'm a huge, just sci-fi fan. I love sci-fi movies. Um, and my favorite part of, 
oh gosh, it was Man, Man of Steel. I always get these confused. The Henry, the first Henry Cavill movie versus the the Brian Ralph movie. Was it Man of Steel? Yes. Or yeah, because yeah. Superman Returns was the one before. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me. In Man of Steel, my like my favorite part of that movie was the beginning, the intro sequence uh, on, on Krypton. Yeah. I loved it. I thought visually it was awesome. Uh, I thought Russell Crowe did a great job, but I just, I love that story. And um, I think why not? Like if you're going to explore anything and make it interesting with Superman, Krypton's a great place to start. So um, I, I mean, I don't know if there's that much great programming coming out of sci-fi network that gives me like uh, yeah. the notion that it's going to be like critically a great program, but they have some shows. They have like the magicians and some other yeah. uh series right now that are that are kind of i think they've been given bigger budgets than they have in the past so i'm hopeful uh, See, I guess, it, yeah i guess my thing is that like you know like the, the best sci-fi series of like the past i mean probably 20 or 30 years was on sci-fi and they like you know they presumably have the number of the guy who did and i'm blanking on his name the guy who did battlestar galactica um, like, why not just give him a call? I know he's busy with Outlander and everything now, but you know, just have like, if they would have said we got the Battlestar guy to make Krypton, I'd be all in. That sounds great. That sounds awesome. I do yeah, not know yeah. who's writing. Krypton. Well, David, David S. Goyer, executive. David S. Goyer had one amazing hit in dark Knight, And then since then has really struggled to, to rebottle that lightning. Yeah. So I think the thing about the Superman is that we, at this point, are just so familiar with his character and with his story. And the default for a lot of people trying to recreate this story now or tell a new Superman story is to deconstruct him on some level, to make him more human or to make him a bad guy or to make him angrier, darker, more extreme than he was uh, in, in everybody's mind's eye instead of this sort of idyllic picture of uh, Superman, the the great white American hero with his mom and the flag and the apple pie that, that we grew up with. Mm. And I think that that's a very understandable impulse. It's just not one that has ever worked very well in, in really any medium. Because uh, I think that uh, in many ways, the best superheroes, best Superman stories are the ones that really lean in to that sort of legacy. Uh, and that's a legacy we'll take a few minutes to explore here. In 1933, a high schooler named Jerry Siegel wrote a story about a homeless vagrant who submits to an experimental medical treatment. The treatment gave him vast psychic powers, and he was a total jerk about it, tormenting others, making tons of cash, and generally just being an ass. By the end of the story, he'd lost his abilities and was back pretty much where he started, sadder but wiser, having learned an important lesson about the danger of wielding godlike powers. As short stories go, it wasn't the most original tale ever written by a high schooler, and even after Siegel had roped an artistically gifted pal by the name of Joe Schuster to sketch it out as a comic strip, the two had already realized that it wasn't going to be terribly marketable. After all, who would want to read a strip in which the main character was a bad guy? Siegel and Schuster started reworking the story from the ground up as soon as they'd finished their first draft, but they did keep the character's name, Superman. The saga of Superman's creation is too long and complex to fit into one episode, but for now it's important to remember that there was no real precedent for the idea of superheroes as Siegel and Schuster created one here. 
It was a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of pulp fantasy, a few elements borrowed from circus strongmen and early Hollywood adventure flicks, all with a healthy dash of adolescent superiority complex. There's been a lot of speculation about just what inspired Siegel and Schuster to create Superman. People suggested that he was a symbol for FDR's New Deal, or Moses, or American Advancement, and there's probably some truth to all of that. For his part, Siegel has gone on the record saying that the genesis of the idea was wondering what it'd be like to be someone that girls paid attention to, launching the enduring superhero trope of a normal, mild-mannered guy who was actually, unbeknownst to all, a godlike dreamboat. But maybe Superman's origins can be best explained by the most straightforward reading of the story. Two Jewish high schoolers saw the world caving in around them. They wanted to create someone who could hold it all up. Siegel and Schuster's Superman strip was passed around and rejected by a number of daily newspapers through the early 30s, but unbeknownst to them, an entrepreneur by the name of Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson had happened upon a business idea that would put them on the map. It was Wheeler Nicholson's idea to start publishing magazines made up entirely of comic strips. He wanted original content, and he wanted it cheap, so Siegel and Schuster's youth and inexperience made them ideal candidates for his new company. National Allied Publications. They had tried their hand at a few titles, calling them things like adventure comics and detective comics, but in June of 1938, they debuted Action Comics, which featured Siegel and Schuster's Superman throwing a car across the cover. It was a bona fide sales smash and kicked off what's commonly known as the golden age of comics. Over the years, as Hitler rose to power, rumors of the Nazis' treatment of the Jews reached Schuster and Siegel, drawing to mind another time and another villain. That time, a baby had been put in a basket and sent down the Nile from where he would one day return to save his people. That was the sort of gravitas they wanted their Superman to have. So they gave Clark Kent a new, more alien name, Kal-El, which in Hebrew roughly translates to all that is God. And they had his father, Jor-El, send him to Earth from a distant dying world, Krypton. Kal-El would do what humans couldn't do for themselves. He would provide not just the rescuing humanity needed, but the example as well. And he could stand against tyranny and oppression. All the might of the Third Reich was helpless to stop him. The Nazis saw this hero as a personal affront. Hitler's chief propagandist, Joseph Goebbels, gave a speech calling Siegel a, quote, intellectually and physically circumcised chap, and he ridiculed his creation for having, quote, an overdeveloped body and underdeveloped mind. The Nazis were right to take the offense personally. One in four American soldiers were carrying comic books into World War II. Siegel and Schuster both passed away in the mid-90s, their later contributions and connections to Superman having been mired in ugly legal battles. But it's worth remembering that their very first comic strip was not about the Superman who comes to save the day, but the one who fails to save himself. It was less about what beings of godlike power can do than about what they should. Their first Superman failed to adequately and ethically grasp the scope of his powers, making him an American icon in more ways than one. But the Superman of today is at his best when truly reckoning with what it means to be an example to all, willing to wrestle with both why and how to best fight for truth, justice, and the American way.
All right, so let's talk about Henry Cavill for the elephant in the room with Superman right now. How do you guys feel in general about... I, I know how we feel about Justice League and Batman vs. Superman, and mostly how we feel about Man of Steel. How do you feel about him? I think if they like actually let him do what he does well, like he has some comedic chops, like he has some he has a good acting range. I don't think that they really let him explore that much. Like Zack Snyder has written consistently a very stale Clark Kent slash Superman. I think that that's my biggest problem there. Like he obviously has the looks, he has the physique, like he can embody Superman, but he does look like him. Yeah. yeah, Like he look, he, he has this picturesque version of, uh, uh, of Superman, but like, he just hasn't had a good writer behind him Mm -hmm. at all. Um, I think that that's been like the biggest downfall of, of Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, so like even in any talks about like rebooting it, it kind of like I kind of get sad for him because I just don't think that he really has been handed anything that he can do much with. It's a very uh, and it gets back to that deconstruction again. They want to have a very classic looking Superman, somebody who really looks the part and can embody that part. But they're not giving him any classic Superman um, material to work with they're not giving him a chance they're doing a lot of telling instead of showing in these movies always talking about how much he means to the world and how important he is to to the hope of humanity but we never really get to see any of that because he's not given the chance to be somebody who's who's a really inspirational figure and who the rest of humanity looks up to uh with the except there were some hints of that in man of steel there were and they were strong. They they were good parts, but they abandoned those pretty much from the credits of Batman vs Superman. Yeah, I mean it's tough to know. Like it's like Chris said, like it's just tough to know what he would do. With, like I don't want to pile on like the DC movies, but like it, it would be interesting to see what he would do with uh, like under a director who actually <laughs> say like like superheroes. I will say like the one the one thing I would never was like totally sold on with him and this is like a very stupid critique and i'm aware of that um i think one of the things that i really like about superman um is that he and again i know this sounds dorky like but he's very kind and i feel like that's kind of the defining characteristic of superman is that like he is a kind person a kind being um and that's kind of you know where he traces back to his roots of you know being a kent as opposed to an l so I never got the sense that like Henry Cavill and I, you know, I've seen, I guess the only other movie of his that I've seen where I knew to look for him was a man from uncle. And like, like Chris said, I think he has some good comedic timing, comedic chops. And, you know, he obviously looks the part and he's very suave and all that. Um, But, you know, I feel like you want a Superman who has some level of, um, or the ability to like exude some empathy. And I've never known if that's like, you know, something Cavill can't do, or if again, it's just because he has a director that will never push him that direction. So um, I just think, yeah, it's, it's just a tough thing to say. And I think that's something that there's a really wonderful moment in a Superman comic from uh, the early aughts, I believe, and I'm blanking on what actual issue it is, which is probably good. That's not information I need clouding my brain, but it's a, uh, it involves a young woman who's getting ready to jump from a building in Metropolis and Superman goes up there and just sits next to her 
Uh, and she tells him that she knows that he's going to fly away as soon as he hears about trouble somewhere else. And he promises her that he won't, that he's going to stay there with her until she decides to come down. And he, she makes him promise that he won't save her if she does decide to jump. So they just talk together. It's a really lovely, very beautiful moment um, in which Superman is shown to be a very tender kind person in addition to being a hero. I don't think that Zack Snyder's movies have done a very good job of emphasizing the super part of Superman, but they have tried to. They haven't tried at all to emphasize the man part of Superman. And and I, those that has been handled much better in certain comics, and we are going to discuss some of those in, in a minute. I think it was also handled very, very well. They've, they haven't aged, the special effects obviously haven't aged well, but Christopher Reeve was really, really good. If you haven't seen those original Christopher Reeve Superman movies, uh, he, he nails the balance in a way that I don't think any character has since. Yeah, but you should stop it too. <laughs> he was like, fine throughout. The movies <laughs> definitely diminishing returns in the movies. But the first one, the first one, the first when Superman first appears yeah. uh, and flies out of the phone booth and and saves a helicopter that's falling with Lois Lane in it is one of my all time favorite superhero moments in any movie. I think it's great, and it's all practical effects. <laughs> Him just hanging around on wires, and I and I couldn't love it more than I do. It's very inspirational. How do you guys feel about Superman Returns? The Brandon, I don't know if it's Brandon Routh or Ruth, Brandon Routh. He doesn't either. <laughs> How do you feel about <laughs> that movie? Obviously, <laughs> it's a problematic. Ooh, we've been debating that for a long time. <laughs> uh, it was directed by Brian Singer, who has had some very serious allegations made against him since that time, and it also stars Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. So I would say certain parts of it definitely haven't aged well. But for the movie as a whole, how do you feel? I don't remember it. Well, there you I'm go. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that uh, Superman Returns was on our required watch list. No, it's not, I don't think it's on a required Man, watch like, list. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you anything. I know I saw that movie and his kid like pushes a piano at some point, uh-huh. that, but that's all I got. Well, that's, that was not a key plot point, <laughs> <laughs> but it was in it. Um, it used John Williams score, which I really liked. The, which is uh, which is very famous, and it had oh man, I don't know what yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Well, I I mean I liked that it because um, if you remember, it was a direct sequel to Superman two. Yes. Um. So it even used Marlon Brando, like Marlon Brando's hologram, I guess, or I can't remember if it was the footage of him, um, Superman's father, but it um, but it, it very much leaned on like the old Superman movies. So I, I like I liked that part that there was continuity. Um, I remember like and again it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, I think the villain, the villain's plot was very <laughs> stupid. Um, if I remember right, it was like he was going to turn the whole like Lex Luthor was going to turn the Earth into uh, kryptonite yep. or something. I don't know. He was using kryptonite to build more land. Oh, that's basically. What and he it was like a real estate yeah. deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was, he was basically real, Donald real Trump and he was trying to get better real estate deals. And Precy. Yeah. In some ways. Um, yeah. And then I remember like Brian Singer really loved the like slow shots of uh Brandon Ruth and like full Jesus pose in space. Yeah. With, like, <laughs> like arms cape, a, yeah. arms akimbo. Yeah. Yeah. With his cape uh flapping in slow motion. Um, you know, listening to the cries of the oppressed. Um, which like 
I, I mean, I like, you know, straight up, I love Superman. So I was like, okay with some of that. But then after like, you know, the fifth time, I was like, all right, like, let's, let's move on. <laughs> I understand why people keep going back to that well. And I even, to a point, understand the, um, the temptation to make Superman into something very Christological because he's such an obvious religious figure. As we discussed in the write-up earlier, there were a lot of religious implications, even just in the creation from, uh, from the two Jewish high school boys who came up with the idea in the first place. So that is leaning into the roots. It's just also very easy with any religious imagery in any movie to overdo it. And I think that they have definitely tended to, uh, it's just been overkill. And not enough over-resurrection. <laughs> um, so we've covered a lot of grounds with the movies. We do want to talk a little bit about some of the comics because there are – the Superman comics, like, sort of ongoing running story itself has been it, – it's been around for a long time. It's sort of hard to get on board with. There's a lot of ups and downs in it. But I don't know if any character other than maybe Batman has as many – uh, miniseries and uh, like one-shot graphic novels that are really, really good. Superman has got tons of very short contained stories that are totally worth picking up that are, that are as good as any other superhero comic book out there. What are some of you guys' favorites? I think I immediately go to American Alien. American wow, Alien. Totally yeah. <laughs> I was like reading it last week. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, American Alien. I, I, going back to like, deconstructing and humanizing Superman mm-hmm. like that, like it starts each issue is like at a different point of his life. The first one starts as he's a child, you know, he's a child. Second uh, issue is him in high school. Second or third issue is like him going on this like silly college uh, spring. Yeah. Trip. Yeah. Like it, it's like seeing those kind of things of like him, like actually like him growing up and like one, like discovering his like, his powers at an early age and like thinking about what it was actually like for him as a kid to actually do that. I think that Max Landis for whatever, you know, opinion you have there, like he wrote a really great seven issue story that like, I really fell in love with who Superman was through that. I, I think you're the one who turned me on to that one, Chris. And I was very skeptical at first because it is written by Max Landis who, uh, if you don't know who he is, don't worry about that too much because he's not a guy worth spending too much time on. But his his uh, father was a pretty famous movie director. He's gone on to direct a couple uh, very not good movies, including Bright, I believe, was his most recent uh, for Netflix, the Will Smith uh, orc cop movie, Bright, which well, made a lot of money. My, my Bright fan Twitter will be <laughs> having a word with you later. <laughs> But um, but I I totally agree that American Alien is actually like a really great story. I I especially really like that first one with him as a child on in Smallville. Yeah, it, it's it's terrific. I I read that even I read that last week and then I read it again even before I came over here tonight. Just because like it it does such a good job of like you go through the range of emotions of like a, a kid with who like can't control how he's like floating in the air, like in the fear that, that like that would take over you. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like he, he just, he just wrote a very like humanized Superman that I, I loved. I at least got to see the human side of him before I like really got to see this like duller <laughs> Superman, <laughs> like Superman that I experienced more frequently and like, and like an issue. So, yeah. 
the, he also goes with a, he has a different artist for each one of those stories. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the, I can't remember the names of all of them, but they all do a uh, really good. I'm trying to pull them up here. They're not going to make it easy for me. It's a different artist for every, for each one. And they are, they all do a really interesting, very distinctive look at, at how Superman looks. And if you're looking for an easy entry point in Superman comics, then American alien is a good one. Uh, Hanno, how about you? What's your favorite Superman story? Uh, yeah, I have, I have a couple. Uh, they're all standalone because, like, like you kind of mentioned early, earlier, Tyler, I I think that there's some great standalone stories of Superman. I, I don't really spend too much time reading like entire story arcs, like series of Superman, just because <clears throat> I get bored. But um, <clears throat> I, I do, I do like a few. That, um, I loved Red Sun. Yeah. I actually just read that recently. Yeah. It's been collecting dust on my shelf. I'm embarrassed to say it's been there for a while. And I picked it up a few weeks ago in preparation for this episode. And I thought that Superman, All-Star Superman was my favorite. But Red Sun has has taken the lead. I really enjoyed it. Um, it talks a lot, obviously. It's, it's about Superman. Well, Clark Kent, I should say, if, if he landed in the Ukraine and grew up in Soviet Russia as opposed to growing up in Kansas. Uh, and it, so it deals a lot with capitalism and communism, obviously, uh, drawing parallels going forward in time from the 30s. I think he's supposed to land in 1938 until like the early 2000s is where the story ends. And it's, it's really interesting if you're into geopolitics and all those things. I feel like there's a lot of great storytelling there. Um, but also, I just I, overall, I tend to think that Superman is a great character for not for me personally. I don't always like just like reading uh, Superman stories, but I enjoy reading Superman stories when they're, when there's a lot of things happening around him. Hmm. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of other characters involved. I don't know how you guys feel about that. But. I, I think red sun works really well because uh, the writer Mark Millar understands that everybody knows who Superman is, so you so it's fun to have some fun with that idea, like to transpose that character and to imagine something very different around him that keeps you. And like Hannah said, it's easy to get bored with the concept, so why not change the concept and see what happens with it? This gets into a little bit of what we were talking about earlier about how tempting it is to deconstruct Superman. And uh, I said that it doesn't usually work all that well, but in the case of Red Sun, I, I'm totally with you, Hannah. It, it actually does work, probably because Millar, I, I haven't liked all of his work, but he's very intelligent in how he handles this story. And uh, like you said, his even the way he talks about economics and, and geopolitics in it is, is really, really interesting. I would think if you're like a, like a World War II history buff or, or somebody who is really into the idea of exploring the Cold War, uh, then this would be a great read for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every time it's brought up, I get kind of sad that I haven't read it yet. I still haven't read it, even like in preparation for this. So, um, yeah, I definitely would probably pick it up. Ryan, you've read it. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I think what's really great about Red Sun, um, and I think that was actually like the first Millar book I ever read and really loved it. Um, I think what I really like about that is it gets into um, – kind of the heart of Superman, which has always been this sort of weird nature versus nurture debate of like how much of the person of Superman and Clark Kent are 
because of who he is as an alien versus uh, like the person he is is raised by, uh, you know, Ma and Pa Kent. Um, and I think what's like in part of the reason is successful. And like, I would say part of the reason that like maybe 75% of Superman comics suck is because Millar actually kind of realized, like gets what makes Superman tick. Um, and the fact that he essentially functions as kind of a modern mythic figure that is meant to kind of hold a mirror to all of humanity, but also a specific like cultural mirror of humanity. Um, and like, and the, the idea that that would change based on where he landed, I think was really interesting and made for some really compelling stuff because, you know, in red sun, he's still a good man. Um, he just is like totally different because of his uh, surroundings and where he came from. Um, so I just think that kind of like that approach to Superman, I think gets the character really well, as well as just makes for a really interesting. What if? Yeah, it's a good spin on kind of the, uh, the Superman story because uh, you know, there's the, a lot of the, the movies and the comics I feel like have always been like a reaction to the existence of Superman, right? Like, what do we do with like this, this individual who's, who's an alien who yeah, has yeah. all these capabilities. He's, he's like a weapon. How do we harness that? And what I love so much about red sun was that, he, you know, it was, we, you know, we grew up here in, a, you know, a lot of us listening to this grew up here in America. And so like, we have a very distinctive cold war interpretation of, <laughs> of communism and, uh, and, and that whole era. Right. And so I feel like spinning it to where, Superman is a communist and the world's response to him as, as an enemy, but not only an, an, not only just someone that we don't understand, but like a political enemy. It's super interesting. And that leaves, uh, there was one more comic that we sort of discussed in preparation for this, uh, that, that should be read. And, and Hannah, you referenced it earlier. And I think it's my favorite Superman story of all time, which is all-star Superman. And Ryan, I think you were actually the one who uh, first turned me on to All-Star Superman uh, a few years ago. You let me borrow it. It's written by uh, Grant Morrison, has some really excellent art by Frank Quitely. Uh, and Ryan, I think it's your, it was your, uh, like your Twitter, your avatar, your Twitter profile picture for a long time. Yeah. I mean, and, <laughs> and this is hard because like, I always feel like I come off so dorky and uh, like, oh, I'm an intellectual <laughs> whenever I talk about Superman like this. But like, I think part of the reason I like Superman is because again, like I think when he's used properly and again, and also like I generally don't think he's used properly by DC. Like even Grant Morrison's run on action comics, like wasn't very good. Um, So, but I think when he's used properly, it's meant to be like, he is a God and like, he's supposed to be a stand in for what the best of humanity could be. And he's meant to show like the goodness and the like, like kind of the ultimate ideal potential inside of every person. And, and I feel like that's what all star Superman does so well. Um, I mean, some of it's, it's still got that like Grant Morrison tongue in cheek stuff sometimes, which can get a little grating, but there are, I, th- I think Tyler, that moment you were talking about earlier where he kind of comes alongside this girl who is, who's contemplating suicide. Um, there's a, like, I don't know if it's the same one or if it's a different one, but there's an, there's a part in issue 10 of all star Superman. And I just reread all of them uh, before this. And, um, and he takes a moment out of, you know, saying goodbye to Lois. Cause the, the structure is that Superman is dying. And 
he flies up to rescue this girl and he's, you know, he basically says you're much braver than you think you are. Um, and, and Mark Wade wrote the foreword to volume two and he talks about that and I think really gets it why that matters. And, and that's that, you know, Superman is meant to be, and I, and this is why I love superhero comics, frankly, like they're meant to be this ideal of like, they're, they're meant to drive us to be the best pe- like versions of people we can be. Um, and the reason Superman is great is because he is an optimist and believes that humanity has the capacity to all be as good as he is. Um, they might not have the same powers, but they have, um, you know, they have these like this tremendous capacity for empathy and for love and for justice and all the things that he sort of stands for. And, um, you know, and even that old truth, justice in the American way, like that, like that sums up what I love about Superman is like, it's, you know, the ideal of what human truth and human justice and even the ideal of what America could be is all supposed to be summed up in this, you know, weird alien. Um, and I just feel like a lot of times that, and maybe, and I'm sure that's super hard to do in an ongoing where you're trying to kind of keep him like, Oh, who's the villain he's fighting. And I, and I actually think, and I'm curious what you guys think. Like, I, so I think all-star Superman works really well because he's primarily doing huge cosmic tasks. Um, but I also think in general, um, where Superman is best used in kind of the DC canon outside of his standalone stuff are in some of the massive crossovers where there's like world shaping stuff. Um, like I think he's actually really good in uh, crisis on infinite earths and infinite crisis. Um, and I feel like that's because it's positioning him as essentially the avatar of ideal humanity versus this kind of all reality consuming and reality changing evil. Um, so I, I just think like Superman is such a big character and he can get boring because he's good. Um, and that's not super exciting. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think there's an opportunity where they could actually juxtapose that with a real evil, um, to be really interesting. And I think that, and I don't think this idea is original to me, but the, the, the best parts, the best Superman stories don't involve, uh, can he, can he punch this bad guy harder than the bad guy can punch him? Can he beat, can he manage to accomplish this impossible thing? Because Superman can do anything. The best stories involve, will he like him wrestling with, should he do this? He's a person who has the ability to do anything. He can save humanity from, from itself. Um, how does somebody grapple with that sort of amount, with that amount of power? And, and how does he stay? How does he remain a pure human being? and allow other people the opportunities to find the purity and and power in themselves that that he has without becoming a dictator uh and, and all of these stories we've referenced from american alien uh through all sorts of man and red sun do all deal with this in in various ways and, and i think that that's what makes him interesting not that he can die because the stories about his death have not been very good but that he uh that but that he can stop other people from dying and how how does somebody grapple with that amount of power he's you're exactly right right he's a great character i think when used well but i also agree with you hannah that it's very easy for him to be very boring yeah i think um i mean and one of the reasons i like about him and um you know we talked about some of the religious stuff earlier but I think he he occupies this space that we, you know, sort of hope in whatever your religious persuasion that 
you know, you hope that a, that a God does in which like, they're clearly better and want, you know, this and want humans to be better too, but they have this kind of endless capacity for understanding and forgiveness to not like instantly destroy the entire planet. Um, so I think, you know, th- I, I think there's just, there's something there in the iconography of Superman as, as this almost de- like deified figure where, you know, he's, he's sort of endlessly patient, which like an endlessly patient superhero is like a terrible comic book. So I get why I get why that's, that's a difficult thing. But I also think like, it's also in the hands of like in the right story and in the hands of the right writer and the right illustrator can be such a powerful thing. Um, I also want to give a quick plug. Like if you want to read an in canon story that I think is actually pretty good. Um, some of Jeff John's run, um, I think in the early two thousands, um, really delve into like Superman is kind of an alien feeling super lonely and actually getting a chance to be like to find some Kryptonian people. Um, and I, like, I think that is always an interesting thing to me too, is like the idea that he's so good that he's alone and he's like clearly, you know, better and stronger than everyone else that he's really lonely. So any, any time that, you know, a writer gets to kind of play with that, I think it is really interesting. So yeah, so Jeff John's stuff is really interesting. I also think, I mean, and this is another whole episode, but I also think Brainiac is really good. Uh, That is a, that is a separate episode. Brainiac is a villain they haven't really used yet in any of the movies or anything like that. Um, Well, thank God. (laughs) Can you imagine Zack Snyder trying to do Brainiac? (laughs) (laughs) And I think with that, we're getting towards the end of our time here. Um, We'll put links to these uh, various Superman stories on our podcast episode page. So you'll be able to check them out ourselves. You can follow us on Twitter at Cape Town Pod. Uh, we also have uh, Facebook, which is Cape Town Pod as well. Feel free to hit us up there and give us any comments or feedback. If you like what you're hearing, please go to our uh, iTunes podcast episode page and uh, give us a good review and a four-star, four- or five-star rating. Please don't give us any more one-star ratings. We already have one, and it hurts our feelings. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to CM Studios. Chad and Jesse are the ones who put this together every week. They produce it for us, and we're grateful to them for that. And with that, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Hannah Mazel. I'm Chris Youngblood. And I'm Ryan Hamm. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks. Bye.